Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Just uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be here as Pastor Aaron trusting me to uh, address you this morning and just uh, just want to say I'm so proud of, of your pastor and just of Simple Church and what you guys are doing and just the simplicity of it all. So thank you for letting me be here. Uh, as, as Pastor Aaron said in the video, I was with C3 Church for uh, since its inception. I actually helped start that church with uh, Pastor Conan. And uh, just recently, as of May, stepped out of that position into what the, the state office. And so I'm over student ministries as well as church planting. And uh, I get to run in circles now where I get to brag, and I do this often, I get to brag on Simple Church. And here's why I love Simple Church. It's the story. And it's, it's Pastor Aaron who felt called to do something that might just sound simple, like starting a church, but that's a hard thing to do. And it makes it even harder when you start in a funeral home. And I brag on you guys all the time. I get to sit across from people who feel like they're called to do something, and they always want to tell me the obstacles. Well, I don't have the same facility. I don't have the same band. I don't have the startup money. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. And I said, let me tell you a story. And I tell them the story of Simple Church and how something, how life came out of something that represents death. Simple Church started in a funeral home. Say that with me. There's a church that started in a funeral home. And then when I'm done with that story, they're just like, oh, yeah. They either walk away feeling like totally like there is no way we're going to do this or like, well, man, if they can do it, then, then we can do it too. So the, your story is very inspiring. And if you're in this facility as the first time, you know, this is the, this is the only facility that you know of Simple Church, I just want to say, you know, you guys... You know, those of you that have been here through the funeral home thing, well done. I mean, you guys really did a great job. Anybody that can grow to not just, not in a funeral home, but to two services in a funeral home, you guys deserve. And you've got great leadership, great pastor, and I think that says a lot about you and supporting uh, Pastor Aaron and Shanda. So again, thank you for, for what you're doing for the kingdom, but thank you for just giving me a new weapon to talk to other people and telling them pretty much shut up and quit whining if that's what they're doing. So you guys take away all the excuses when I go and talk to other church planters. But uh, again, just a background on me. So about nine years ago, almost nine and a half years ago, uh, Conan Stevens just called and says, hey man, we're going to start this church in Columbus, and we want your family to go with us. So we did. We prayed about it, and we, we ended up moving there. And uh, my wife and I, her, her name is Denny, and uh, we decided that we were going to move there. And we have uh, four daughters, and my oldest daughter is 19, and she is in Minnesota. She actually spent the year 2014, after she graduated, she went to Africa and decided that was probably too hot, so now she moved to Minnesota, and we'll figure out how that works out for her. But she's going to school there. She spent a year in Africa, got some school out of the way, and now she's in Minnesota, and she's going to a, a school in Minneapolis. So that's uh, pretty exciting. I miss her, but at least she's on the same uh, American soil as I am, so I can still talk to her. Then I have a 10-year-old, and she is my 10-year-old my redhead, 
and she fits every stereotype there is about redheads. She has earned that, and she is proud to say that. And uh, then after, after service, I was talking to a guy out there, and I realized, oh, he's, he's a redhead. So I apologized, and he said, no, no, no. It's almost like when you have one, you can talk about them, right? So we did. We talked about redheads. And then I have uh, Reagan, who is almost eight years old, and I introduced Reagan as my last attempt for a boy. So she was our, our last child that we have. She's the baby, and uh, she, she's, she's just awesome. And I do have another daughter named Megan, and uh, I'm going to show you just a, a short video here. And when Aaron asked me to come, he asked me to talk about prayer. And I thought, man, I've got some really bad experience with prayer, but because of that, I, I've kind of researched it. So this is a great topic for me uh, to be able to share with you some of those things. But this is a week that I need prayer. And uh, I, I think that, you know, this Saturday, I'm doing one of the dumbest things that I could have been asked to do or challenged to do. I'm doing an Ironman triathlon, and there, there's a video that's going to show a little bit of what that is. But I've used this as a platform in my new position to just kind of get some exposure, not for myself, but for church planting. So this is a video that, that uh, somebody, that D Josh Stevens helped me put together, and we sent this out to every AG church in Ohio, and we've asked them to show this video, and then we've asked them to partner with us to bring some awareness and to help start some churches in Ohio. So take a look at this video, and then I'll come back and we'll unpack some thoughts. One hundred years. This church has been in existence for one hundred years. This is the first church that my grandmother visited when she came over to the United States from London. This is what she called home for the rest of her life. This is the place where she found acceptance, where she found lifelong friends. This is the place that she would wake me up every Sunday morning and drag me to. She'd make me put on clothes that I did not want to wear. She'd pull me to a Sunday school class that I did not want to be in. She'd make me listen to lessons that I didn't think that I needed. This is the very pew that I sat in with my grandma every Sunday. This is a place where I learned about integrity. This is a place where I learned morals and values. This is the place that I got answers to questions that I didn't even know that I had. November 2004. My life was turned upside down. Had a little baby girl, Megan Renee. She was born with a heart defect. She lived for four days, and then we had to say goodbye. Why? What do we do now? Where are we supposed to go? I can honestly say if it wasn't for the love and support from the local church, I'd be in a whole lot different place. I can honestly say that the local church has been there through every significant event in my life. So why do we need to start new churches? Up to 4,000 churches close their doors every year. Of those surveyed who don't currently attend church, most say that they would never step foot in an already established church. But up to 80% of them say that they would go to a new church. Can you imagine the impact we would have if there were a local church in every community? So what now? The Ironman Triathlon, the 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, 
26.2 mile marathon. It's one of the most grueling, physically demanding challenges out there. And I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna use this as an opportunity to raise money to start new churches. Seven months of training, up to 20 hours a week. Totally changing my lifestyle, my eating habits, my sleeping habits going through injury and aches and pains. Why? To get a t-shirt? Cross the finish line? No. I'm on a mission to raise money to start new churches. There are people out there who feel called to start churches and communities and all they need is financial support. You have an opportunity to invest in something that could last for generations. I would love to see a church in every community. Where would I be if a hundred years ago, people didn't invest into a local church? I'm asking you to partner with me. Partner with me to be part of something great. Partner with me to be part of a movement to see a church in every community. I'm asking you to give, and here's how. Simply click on the link. In just below. a little bit, Pastor Tim is going to come up and just share a little bit about how you can give and partner with uh, just this movement to see a church, a, a healthy church in every community. And that's our goal. That's what we're wanting to do. And in that video, you saw uh, the local church that 100 years ago, somebody said, hey, we, we need a church here. And that's about two hours east on the West, on the West Virginia, Ohio border in a, in a little town called West Wheeling. The church probably never grew to over 150 people, and it's still there. And I just think, praise God that somebody 100 years ago said, we're going to start a church. Because if it weren't for that place, my grandmother would have never, she would have never dragged me there. I would have never heard the stories. You know, my grandmother had since passed away, and just even hearing the worship team this morning sing that song, It Is Well, I remember singing that hymn with my grandma. I remember it being in the background as I'm goofing off, crawling under the pews, and her just dragging me back. And I thought, you know, if I wasn't in that environment to hear those songs that just kind of anchor my faith, if I wasn't there to, to think I was ignoring all of the stuff that was going on, but it really, it just sunk in and it sunk deep. And uh, so I'm just, I'm just so excited to be in this position where we can, we can partner with people like your pastor that says, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this, this dream or this vision that God placed in my heart, but I feel like I'm supposed to start a church. And my office now gets to come alongside and say, yes, let's do this. Let's, let's help you to start a new church. So that's what our goal is. That's what we're trying to do. And uh, in that video, you know, you, you saw the, the, me at my gravesite, uh, my daughter's gravesite. And that song, It Is Well, what do you do when it's not well? What do you do when you just don't really feel like it's going the way that you want it to go? What is really not going the way you want it to go? So honestly, during that time, about, it was about 11 years ago that my daughter died. And I was in ministry at that time, and that was by far the toughest season that I've ever gone through. But without the love and support of the local church, I'd have probably gone a whole different direction. But the other thing is, I got, this, I got to this crossroads where I'm like, do I even really believe what I'm standing up here talking about? Do I really believe that this God is a God of love? And, and, this, and then you get to that place where God is a God of miracles, and you say, but what about mine? What about my miracle? What about me? And I got to the place where I didn't even want to pray. 
And so that's where a lot of what I'm going to unpack with you today comes from, from one of the hardest places in my life where I got to a place where I'm like, who cares? Why bother? I don't want to do it because why? Because prayer doesn't work. That was what I said. Prayer just doesn't work, so why bother? Well, but I guess if I'm in ministry, I need to at least pray. I mean, you can't be in ministry. You can't even call yourself a follower of Christ if you don't at least pray. So I guess I should, I guess I should pray. But it was more out of just obligation. And I thought, man, if, if, if this is frustrating me this bad, if it's something that, that I felt like, did I just miss the right formula? Did I spin the dial wrong? Did I roll the wrong dice? Did I, did I not hold the rabbit's foot right? I mean, what, what did I do wrong? That's what I started asking myself. And then I started thinking, man, I must have missed something. There's got to be something about prayer that I'm missing. And that's where this journey comes in. And we're going to talk about prayer. And here's what I know. That when we're, when we're kind of new to prayer or we hit that roadblock, we hit that season, here's what we think about prayer. We either pray or we don't pray based on whether we got or didn't get what we wanted. And I thought, man, we, we can't stop praying because that's, gonna, that's wrong. So here's what we do. We just kind of call it our good luck charm, and we just think, well, it's really not going to matter, but at least I'll go through the motions, and then I'll just sit back and just kind of hope. And that's where we are with prayer. And then it's just got to be like, you know what? We're missing something. If it's totally, if it's really just totally random like I think that it is, then there's got to be something that I'm, that I'm just not understanding. Because I get really confused at the prayers that I see answered and the prayers that I see that aren't answered. Because everybody's got one of those, you know, hey, you know, I, I just, Lord, just help me find my car keys, right? And it's like, oh, there's my car keys. Praise God. And when they say, they, he answered my prayer. And then you got, oh, man, I got to take my dog across country. Lord, please help my dog to not get sick in the car. Woohoo! the dog didn't get sick in the car. Praise God. He answered my prayer. And I thought, what about me? What about mine? God, you, you can help them find their car keys. You can help Fido's nausea, but you can't help my daughter's heart. What about me? And I thought, I've got to be missing something. Why didn't you do for me? Did I just miss the code? Did I miss the formula? Did I just not say it right? What is it about what I did wrong? And I had people tell me this. Well, if you have more faith, then you'll get what you pray for. I actually had somebody come to me after my daughter died and said, if you'd have had more faith, your daughter wouldn't have died. To which I responded, let's see how much faith you have. Is this fist going to hit you in the forehead? They didn't have enough faith, and down they went. I'm just kidding. I didn't hit them. I wanted to hit them. I really wanted to. I was mad. And I thought, it can't, it can't be. That, that really can't be it because the word I read says if you have the faith of a mustard seed, that's enough to tell the mountain to just jump into the, to the, to the sea. And I thought, well, that can't be right. So there goes that theology because I've got the faith of a mustard seed. And if there's ever a reason to have more faith, wouldn't it be to save your child? And I thought, all right, that's not it. And then I thought, what if none of this was the point to prayer? And what if, what if, what if getting what we want or getting God to do something was not the point of prayer? Would you be open to hearing that? Would you be open to just kind of walking this journey with me? Because I would venture to say that if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you would say, I pray. Man, probably most of us, probably all of us would 
put that caveat in there. Well, I don't pray as much as I should. I don't pray as much as I want to, right? But how many of you were ever taught to pray? I wasn't. I was never taught how to pray. In fact, when you ask somebody, what do you do? What is the answer that most of the time you hear? Just talk to God, right? Isn't that what you say? Just talk to God. And I think there's something to that. But if we just talk to God, I think if we evaluated, if we recorded our prayers and then played them back, we would probably be getting bored listening to our own prayers. We would probably get frustrated listening to our own prayers because here's what we'd say. Here we'd, we'd hear, Lord, bless me, help me, you know, God bless, yeah, bless somebody else, but let's get back to me now. Help me, fix me, and, and fix them. You know, it's all about us. Help me, bless me, give me. There's got to be something more to it. And again, I was told, just talk to God. But, but when we look at these verses, we're going to see that there is, a, there is a right way to pray. Jesus teaches them how to pray. And, and you can, can, can you imagine if I'm, hey, we're ending the service, and I just say, hey, brother such and such, would you stand up and dismiss us in prayer? And you just bust out, and you just start praying. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Never mind. You're doing it wrong. What if somebody heard you pray, and they just told you you were doing it wrong? Like, that. Get, get that out of here. That's not the right way to pray. Get that out of here. We're going to talk about, in, in uh, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, we're going to talk about how Jesus prayed. And he prayed so intentionally. There was something that the people noticed differently about how he did it. Because they're in an environment where, where they walk up, and these were people that were raised in the Jewish religion, and they knew how to pray. But when they saw Jesus do it, they said, Jesus, you do it differently than we do it. Would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus didn't look at him and say, no, 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 that's just silly. Just walk away and go talk to God. He didn't say that. What did he do? He taught them how to pray. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn through these verses, Matthew 6, verse 5 through 8, and then starting in, in verse 9 is where he talks about the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to look at that a little bit too. But I don't claim to be an authority on prayer. In fact, I've probably messed it up more than I've gotten it right. But here are some things that I've learned along this, this just toughest season of my journey, and I would love to share these with you. So we're going to start reading Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, and then we're just going to unpack some thoughts, and I hope that you can get something from this. Matthew, 5, or Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, it says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly and on street corners in the synagogues where everybody can see them. I assure you, that is all the reward that they're going to get. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door behind you. And your father who sees secretly, your father, and, and pray to your father who, pray to your father secretly. Then your father who knows all secrets will reward you. Now, one of the things that stands out in this verse to me is it says, when you pray. So it's not an optional if. It says when you pray. When you pray, don't, don't pray publicly out there so everybody can hear you and, and see you. Jesus talks about where you should pray. This is Jesus now teaching. They said, will you teach us? And he says, yes, I will. When you pray, go in your room. Shut the door. Don't do it out on the street corners. Don't do all that stuff. And, and you say, wait a minute. You can pray anywhere, right? I believe you can pray before the big game, 
pray before the long road trip, pray before the big test, the big work promotion, the interview. I believe you can. But Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm going to tell you where I want you to do it. I'm going to tell you where it's going to bring you the most benefit. I'm going to tell you that place is important. Now, he says, those who do it publicly, those who stand on the, on the street corner and just do it loudly, and people are like, whoo-hoo, did you see him? Wow. Whew. You know what their reward is? This. Good job. Good job, because that's it. He's like, when you do it and they applaud you for it and they, they, they whoo, good job, they affirm you for it, that's all the rewards you're going to get for that. But when you pray, go behind closed doors and do it in secret. And then the Father who knows all the secrets... He will reward you. So prayer is important, and there is a specific place. But you say, God is everywhere, and to which I respond, yes, he is. And if you want to keep doing it the same way, to keep getting the same results, to keep getting that whole help me, bless me, give me, then you go right ahead. But to move beyond where you've been to where you've never been before, go in your room and shut the door. Jesus says, this is where I want you to start. And I was never taught this. I was never taught to go into my room, to get alone, to get all the distractions out of the way. I was just, I was just taught just talk to God. This one single verse could really change everything about your spiritual journey. And if, if the only conversations you have with those that are in your life are just the details of life, that's communication, but that's, that's talking. If I, if I just talked to my wife and said, okay, hey, you got the kids. You're taking this one to this event. You're ta- I'll take this one to this event. We're going to have dinner at this time, and then we're going to get back, and then we're going to do this, and then we'll bathe them. Oh, and don't forget that I got to, you know, go to Columbus or go to the east side today, and then you're going to do this. And we could talk, and I could still sit back and say, man, I miss you. We could be in constant communication of talking and still feel totally distant. Not because we're not talking, but because we're just talking. And if all we're doing is just talking to God, dealing with the chaos of life, if all we're doing is talking, you could go the rest of your life talking to God and still feel distant. Because the intimacy, the communication, the, the, the reward comes when you get in your room and close the door. And this may sound crazy. You may say, I don't have time. But it comes with the promise of a reward. Look at verse 6. It says, when you pray, go in your room, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father secretly. Then your father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. He's saying that when you do something in secret that I'm pleased with, I will reward you. To which when I'm studying this out, I'm thinking, okay, if you're going to reward me based on what I do in private, then I just have to, my mind works this way and thinks, then maybe you're going to withhold the rewards that you want to pour out on me for the things I'm also doing in private. So the things I'm reading, the conversations that I'm having, the things I'm looking at on the internet, the things I think that nobody else knows, he's going to reward me for what I do in secret. But what if I'm not doing the things that are rewardable? Then he's going he's gonna to hold those back and say, I want to reward you, but that, the thing that you're doing in secret right now, I can't reward that. And you say, wow, if all I got to do is shut the door and talk to God, then I'm going to get what I want. 
That's not what he's saying the reward is. The, reward, the word reward is actually a Greek, a Greek word that means repay. And so he is going to repay us for the investment that we, that we do secretly. And you say, now that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to go in my room and I'm going to close the door. But he doesn't tell us what the reward is just yet. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But when he sees you intentionally carving out time, doing more than just help me, bless me, give me, the Father, the God of this universe will reward you. What is that reward? Let's keep going. Verse 70 says, when you pray, don't babble on as the people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating words again and again. You don't have to impress God with your words. You don't have to stand there and do it for long periods of time. It's not the quantity of words that you use and just throw it up there and hope that some particular, I'm just going to throw enough words and maybe, just maybe, I'm going to say it in the right way and that's going to get the ear of God and that's what's going to just convince him to come through for me the way that I want it. I'm going to put so much emotion into this that he's going to know that I'm serious about it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't do this just to impress other people. Don't even come to try to impress me. I just want to hear what's on your heart. And, and we all know people that, that maybe you are in environments like that where you just think, man, I hope they don't call on me to pray because that other person, they know how to pray. And you got that, 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 that brother or sister, they've been in church so long, they know all the right combinations of word. Man, I just love hearing them pray. In fact, that person, when they stand up and pray, you just know God is in heaven just telling the angels, hey, shh, stop worshiping, stop praising me right now. I got to hear this one. That's not what happens. That is the only reward they're going to get when they put on the show, when they try to generate all these emotions and change the inflection of their voice and start all this, this animation. And God's saying, you can do that, but that's the reward. But when you get alone and you talk to me intimately as your heavenly father, there is a reward that comes. When you talk to me from your heart, that's when I'm going to listen Verse 8, don't be like them because the Father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. When I read that verse, I thought, why bother? Why am I even going to talk to you and ask you for things if you already know? And if you've ever had that thought, then you are on the verge of a breakthrough of what is the real reason that we pray. If he already knows, then why even do it? Why go through the motions? And, and, and if, if, if he says he already knows what we're going to say, then there has to be something that we've missed because that's all we know to do is go to God and tell him what we want, tell him what we need. That's what we do. And he's saying, you can do that, but I already know what you want and what you need. But if it's not about covering what I want and what I need, then what is it? You can spend all your time talking to God, telling him all this stuff, but he's saying, I, I, don't, I really don't need you to do that because you don't understand something. And I, I remember Dr. Charles Stanley says this. He said, the most important thing in your life is not your ministry. It's not your finances. It's not your family. The most important thing in your life is your prayer life because out of that flows everything else. Out of your prayer 
family, out of your prayer, your finance, out of your prayer. That is, that is the one thing that everything else should flow. And when you get in, in a room and privately talk to God and share your heart, out of your heart, share with God from your prayer life, that is the most important thing. And you know what the reward is when he says he's going to reward us? Here's what that is. Our reward is an inner sense of peace that God is with us. He's with us when, when he says yes. He's with us when he says no. He's with us when he says nothing at all. And we have the peace of knowing that he is there and that he cares, that he knows everything about us, and that we now have an opportunity to know him intimately. You can continue to pray the way that you're praying right now and just rushing through the day. And God may hear, God will hear those, and he may even answer them the exact way you want to. But you could spend the rest of your lives throwing up prayers to God and miss intimacy with God. He tells us this, then, is how you should pray. We've covered the time and the place. We've already talked about the importance of that. You don't have to throw around all these big words and have this big long prayer. You don't have to do all that. You can cover your wants and needs, but I already know what you want and need before you even tell me, so don't, don't spend a lot of time on that. And Jesus says, now... Maybe you understand that there's something that I want you to know. Now, let me tell you how to pray. And he talks, and he goes through this Lord's Prayer. Or that's what we refer to as Lord's Prayer, verse 9. When he starts in, he says, there's so much more, and let's talk about that. And, and to say it doesn't work simply means that we just don't understand it. And maybe there's something, there's a, there's a new level of prayer that if we're here, we can go here. If we're here, we can go here. Maybe, just maybe, walking through this is going to change our perspective. If it's all about asking and getting or not asking and not getting and there's a formula, then what do we do? We just get mad and we walk away and we give up on it. It just didn't work. Because many of you know as followers of Christ, you know that, that we need that intimate connection with God. And that only happens when you go in the room, shut the door, and share your heart with our Father. Place and time matter. Words and the length of prayer, that doesn't matter. Go in your room, and the Father who is unseen will reward you. But what if I don't do it right? That's okay. Start where you are. All I know is to ask for things. Go in the room, shut the door, and spend time with your Father. You say, well, I'm too busy. Have you ever met somebody and they said, man, I am just not busy. In fact, I've got all the time in the world. I don't know what to do with all this time. Listen, everybody's busy. But you know what? We make time for what's important to us. What do I say? If I go in the room and shut the door, what do I say? I'll only be, I'll, it'll take me 30 seconds. It's okay. Just get in the habit of going in your room, shut the door. Going in your room and closing the door is going to create the habit of just opening up your heart and sharing. You say, I don't know if I'm going to do it right. I don't know if I'm going to do the way Jesus taught. And he gives us a model. Just start meeting with God. Go in your room. Close the door. The Father who is unseen will reward you. Maybe that's all we need. To, maybe that's our I will statement walking out of today. Is just I will start. I will start by just going in the room and closing the door. How often should I do this? However often you decide to. How long should I stay in there? However long you decide you want to stay there. When you pray, not if, when you pray, go in the room, close the door. Spending time alone with God without distraction 
That's where he becomes the heavenly father and Jesus becomes our personal savior. That's when you have the intimacy. And we're not going in there and just going to continue to repeat the same words over and over. But Jesus does give us an order in which we should pray. And he talks about that. And here's what he says. He begins with this. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. I love the first word of that. Our Father. Our. You know what that means? That means he is ours. He is my heavenly Father, but he's your heavenly Father. And you know what that means to me? When I'm going through a hard time, I'm not alone. I've got siblings. I've got relatives. I've got friends. I've got family. He is our Father. Because the one thing the enemy wants to do more than anything is when we're going through a tough time, he wants us to just start isolating everybody, right? Push them away. And you've done it, and you've all seen people do it. When they're going through a hard time, they just push people away. But when you just start your prayer with our Father, okay, Lord, you just revealed to me that I'm not alone in this that there are people that you have in my life. There are people that you have in place that want to pray with me. Our Father means you are never alone, and that is a lie from the enemy. Our Father. Think about Father for just a second. He's not our earthly Father because your earthly Father may be the best person on the planet, but he may be an idiot. He may neglect you. He, whatever you think about your earthly Father, don't tie that to what you think about our heavenly Father. Because our Heavenly Father says, you know what? I love you unconditionally. I am here for you always. I will never leave you, forsake you. Our Heavenly Father also has a totally different perspective. Our Father who is in heaven, he's in heaven looking down, and we might just say, here's where we are. But he's saying, you know what? I know where you were. I know what got you to here. And I know where I'm trying to get you. So I see from there to there, and you see just this amount. So when we get caught up in whining and complaining and bless me, give me, and that's, he's saying, you know what? I'm in heaven. I have a full view of what I'm trying to do here. And you've just got this little bit. So when you say our Father who is in heaven, you're acknowledging that you know something that I don't. You have a different perspective than what I have. And holy is your name. And man, you just think about that for a second. If we just got into the holy Holy is your name. You are holy. Now let's just spend just a minute right there for a second. If we just skip past this holy is your name, then we miss. This is an opportunity to look at the characteristics in the nature of God. You are our Father. You are in heaven. And you are holy. You are great. You are good. You are omnipotent. You are omniscient. You are all-knowing, all-forgiving, all-powerful. You are all these things. So just tell him who he is. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to take the spotlight from your life and put it on him. And even if we just take this just, just, just a second here and just think about for a second, what is the biggest stressor in my life right now? What is the biggest obstacle that I'm facing? What is the greatest challenge, the one thing that, that when I think about it, I just start to tense. I just, there's just uncertainty there. There's frustration there. There's stress there. What is that one thing for you? And now that I got you all roused up and you're just stressing about it, now just pause. And now let's just take a second and say, can we just say, yell out, just what are some characteristics? What is the nature of God? When you think about God and you're telling somebody else about God, what is he? He's merciful. God is merciful. What else is he? He's a provider. He, what else is God? 
He's loving. He's caring. He's compassionate. He is all-knowing. He knows the beginning from the end. He has a good plan for my life. What if you stopped focusing on the problem and started focusing on the character and nature of God? Would that just take that big, ginormous obstacle, stress in your life and just say, because, God, if you really are all those things, and you are, and more, then how big of a problem is this thing really? If you already know that this somehow is going to make me look more like you, Romans 8, 28, everybody wants to quote that one, all things work together for good for those who believe in Christ, but Romans 8, 29, all these things are to conform us into Christ-like image. If all this stuff that's going on is going to help me, if my daughter dying is going to help me look more like Jesus, I'm willing to say there's good in that. So think about just the biggest problems you have and then just stop and then think about the biggest God that we serve. And if we really believe that he is that big, then those problems are going to start to shrink because we really do believe he has the best interest at heart. Think about who you're talking to. Stay there long enough to be in awe of God again. If you stay there long enough to just be in awe of the character and the nature and the loving uh, that, that he gave his son for us, man, that's when you're going to develop this intimacy that you don't already have. Don't let time or fear make you rush by this. And then the next verse, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think, man, now that's a tough one. Your kingdom come, that's great, but let's let my will be done, right? That's kind of how we want to change that verse. Your kingdom come, my will be done. Because we don't want to stay there long enough to say, all right, Lord, this is the way I want to do it. This is the way I want to see it play out. This is the way I want it. Can you just make that happen? I'm willing to stay in prayer long enough if that will get you to align with the way I want it. I can align you with my will. I'll stay in there all day and all night. But how much longer do you really need to stay in there if you're saying, Lord, here's the way I want it. I'm willing to stay here until I can line up with the way you want it. And Jesus modeled that in the garden. When he was going to the cross, he prayed, Lord, if there's another way, can we, can we do this another way to the point where he's blood, sweat, and tears? He did not want to do that. The human side of him didn't want it to play out the way that God had in place. And he said, if there's another way, can we do it another way? <sighs> but not my will. Your will be done. So Jesus prayed long enough for his will, his, the, the human side of Jesus, to align with the will of God. So how much, how much longer do you and I need to pray? That's up to you. When you are praying for the vision for your life, for your family, for your career, for your siblings, for your job, for whatever it is, Lord, this is my will, but I'm willing to stay here as long as it takes for my will to be aligned with your will. That's how long I'm going to stay here. This is where we realize that he is our daily savior. This is where we realize that he cares about every aspect of our life. And, and, and we've probably tried to do things on our own. And then we get to that point where we just finally say, all right, Lord, I don't know what else to do. You just do it your way. Maybe we should start there. And maybe it should be out of humble gratitude instead of frustration. God, you're so great. You're so amazing. You are loving. I surrender everything to you. I want your will above all else for my life. 
How long will that take? It depends on you. It depends on your heart. The length of your prayers are not determined by the willingness of our God. It should be determined by the condition of our hearts. So how long is it going to take? It depends on your heart. Stay there until you realize who you're talking to. Stay there long enough to submit your will to his will. Sometimes you're going to wrestle with it, and that's okay. That just makes it personal, and he can handle that. Next verse, he goes on to say, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We all know what daily bread is. Daily bread is just saying, Lord, provide for my needs. But what do we go to him with? Lord, provide for my wants. Provide for the things that I just really desire. I I just want these things. But we're going to him and saying, Lord, you know me. You know me better than I know myself. You know where you're trying to get me. Just provide the things that I need in order to get from where I am to where you want me. It makes us a little bit more dependent on God when we go to him with our needs. It's easy, to, it's easy to surrender when we don't have anything. You're like, oh, I'm dirt poor. I ain't got nothing, but Lord, you can have it all. Right? It's easy to do it when we, when we don't have anything. But when we feel like things are going good, pretty good for us, Ah, Lord, here's, here's, here's how much you can have. We don't want to fully surrender when things are going good. And he's saying, I, I want your heart. I want your heart when it's good. I want your heart when you're struggling. I just want you to, to be in that intimate relationship with me. And then, Lord, forgive us, for our, forgive us as we forgive others. You know, the word's pretty clear on that when he says that how you forgive others is how God's going to forgive us. So immediate forgiveness is a place that we've all got to get to. And so when we spend some, some intimate time with God saying, Lord, forgive me as I forgive others, it causes us to examine ourselves and say, how am I forgiving others? What am I doing? How am I doing this? How good am I doing in this? And if, if somebody comes to your mind and you think, ugh, guess what? You probably need to stay there a little bit longer. And maybe some of us need to just get to a point where we forgive ourselves. Because there are some, some mistakes that we've made, some maybe intentional things that we've done in the past and we just can't move forward. The enemy's got us so caught up in guilt. Forgive me as I forgive myself. Because if we, if we say, well, God can't forgive, but we can't forgive, we're placing ourselves above God. Lord, you can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. We're positioning ourselves above God, and we don't want to do that. How long do you need to stay there? Until you get to that place where you can forgive because he's forgiven us. When you forgive yourself and are able to forgive others, don't carry that guilt. Lead us not into temptation. And this is the way I want to finish that sentence. Lead us not into temptation because I can get there all by myself. I don't need help getting to temptation. Temptation is all around us. But we're saying, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil because we know that there is evil all, all over the place. And he's saying, you know what? I'm always going to provide you with a way out. I'm always going to provide you with another option. You don't have to surrender to the temptation. You don't. Because I'm always going to give you a way out. Start with God and with ourselves. Close the door. Get alone. Declare God's greatness. Submit our will to his will. Address your total dependence on God. Ask for what you want or if, what you need if you want to, but he already knows that, so don't feel like you've got to spend a lot of time there. We need him to provide for us, forgive us, to help us forgive others, and to keep us safe. He wants your heart. He wants a personal relationship with you. 
Spend some time with him and just declare his greatness. Submit your will. Admit your dependency. You know, I, I hope that some of these things that I've learned just through my, the toughest times and my battle with prayer and even my relationship with the Lord, I hope you never pray the same. I hope that, that there's something today you just maybe, next time you read the Lord's Prayer, you don't just recite it, but you let it become personal to you. One of my favorite verses is John 15, 5. And it says this, I'm the vine, you are the branch. If, I remain in you, if you remain in me, I will remain in you, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, Lord, can I be a better father apart from you? Nothing. Can I be a better spouse? Nothing. Can I be a better, uh, can I be a better teacher? Nothing. Can I be a better friend? Nothing. Any questions on this? Nothing. And I remember I was at a, a, at a marriage conference, and I just want to end with this illustration. And this guy stood up, and he was just, it was kind of like an in passing. I don't even think he meant to teach on it. He said, that verse to me just says, if, if, if you're the vine and I'm the branch, just kind of like that's, that, let's this table represent Jesus. That's the vine. I'm just a branch. But if I remain, if I have this connection, this right here becomes life flow. There is life flowing from the vine to the branch. This is where life is exchanged. This is the source of the connection. And if that stays connected, then I'm going to bear much fruit, peace and love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to bear much fruit. But I get so focused on the fruit, and what do I want to do? I want more fruit. I want more fruit. What happened to the source of that fruit? It's gone. So what do I have? Nothing. Apart from me, nothing. Can I have more peace? Nothing. Can I have nothing? Apart from this, nothing. This is the intimate connection that comes from prayer. This is the life-flowing source of your heavenly Father. Apart from this, Nothing. So what do we need to do? We need to stop focusing on the fruit and start focusing on the connection. Because the fruit's going to come. That's a promise. You're going to bear much fruit. But you cannot sacrifice the intimate connection that knows from coming, that, that comes from getting in your room, closing the door, and focusing on this life exchange, this life flow right here. That prayer is what helps keep that connection alive. Prayer is what helps keep that connection rooted. And I just, I just hope the next time you re read Matthew and you get to that Lord's Prayer, that something in there says, all right, I'm going through a tough time. I'm not alone because you're our Father. You're not my earthly Father. You are a heavenly Father who loves me. You are our Father in heaven. You are holy. Let me just tell you, God, how great you are. I don't feel like you're really great right now, but I know you are this, you are, and spend some time there. Lord, your will above all else. How long do you got to stay there? As long as it takes. So I just want to challenge you with that, and maybe we're just going to take a couple minutes, and I'm just going to ask you to come up with your I will statement. That I'll attend some goal workshops and some leadership conferences and things, and the one thing they say is you never, if, if you're wanting to make changes, you never leave the environment without at least taking one step towards the change you want to make. So I'm just going to pray for you, and then I'm just going to give you an opportunity to create your I will statement. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you. God, I pray that you would make this stick. 
that it would take root in your heart, in our hearts, that it would help us intentionally carve out time to get alone with you as we close the door and submit our wills to yours. Father, I just pray that you would help us to desire that intimacy, that relationship, that connection that only comes from the vine, that life-giving source, that we would always have the reward of knowing that you are with us. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.